Let's go back to what some believe to be the greatest decade of them all, the 1990s. A decade when MTV actually played music videos, a decade when everybody and their sister had a Tamagotchi, and a decade when, apparently, Sharon Stone forgot to wear her undies to the set of Basic Instinct. This was also a decade in which sports card companies flooded the market with, well, you know, sports cards. Because of the glut of inventory on the street, collectors back then and now refer to this period, sometimes with disdain, as the junk wax era. Like many of today's collectors, today's guest and I embrace junk wax, mostly because those were the athletes we watched when we were the most passionate about watching athletes. So for the next two episodes, because this topic merits at least a two-parter, we'll discuss our favorite players and our favorite cards from a time when a whole lot of people wanted to collect this. And we don't Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, a podcast for collectors, by collectors. Here's your host, Alan Goldscher. John Finkel, author of Windmills and Tomahawks, Nine Chapters and Dominique Wilkins, and 1996, a biography. Uh, John and I are going to take an ultimate nostalgic deep dive into the 1990s. We're going to talk about our favorite athletes. We're going to talk about our favorite cards of said athletes. But first, John, I'm going to read an ad. You excited for that? I love ads. They're my favorite. I know. Everybody's favorite. Here we go. Check out this special deal for you, Collect This listeners. And studies have shown that Collect This guests and listeners are exceedingly attractive. Head over to csgcards.com slash join, select premium, and use the promo code collect this, of course. And you can join CSG at the premium level for just $99, $50 off the regular price. What? Not only that, but you'll get a $150 same as cash credit, so the price of membership pays for itself. But wait, there's more. You'll get access to exclusive benefits like discounts on select add-on services, 24-7 online submission tracking, and 10% off at the CCG store once again csgcards.com slash join select premium use the promo code collect this get your grade on with csg did i crush that john or what you nailed it that that was like a, the mid-90s fastball of one of the pitchers that i'm going to talk about of right right <laughs> you like it was right over the plate but it was so fast and slick you couldn't touch it all right so the little uh, uh backstory here a little inside baseball a little how the sausage is made john and i did our list separately we do not know who is on each other's lists okay uh we're gonna do five uh we have 10 all together each we're gonna do five each over these two episodes span uh because as i said up top this merits two episodes you agree absolutely i mean you, you could do 20 episodes but i like that we keep it tight you know you know, like RIP to the, you know, the athletes we couldn't put on the top 10 uh, in this list, but we'll keep those cards for another time. And as another uh, 90s reference, we are not worthy of any of the athletes on this <laughs> list. All right, John, you go first. Let's talk about the athlete. And then once we, we enjoy, once we're done, once we figure we've gotten, we've milked every drop of awesomeness out of this athlete, we'll, we'll get your favorite card. Who you got up top? All right, great. So uh, the criteria was without Michael Jordan. So I, I tried to stick away from like the no-brainer guys, no Griffies, no Kobe, some of these guys. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to stick to the essence and the embodiment of the 90s. And nothing and no one embodies the early 90s athlete like Andre Agassi. Oh, I love You've that. You've got yourself, especially in the card that I pick, 
you want me to reveal the card now or do you want me to reveal Oh, no, no, no. Let's, let's chop it up about Andre first right. and then we'll get card. All right. So Andre, I mean, it's hard because tennis, you've, you've had Federer and you've had Nadal and you've had Jokic for so long. But a lot of people, you know, men of a certain age over 40, maybe even over 35 like us, remember when U.S. men's tennis was awesome and you had Agassi, you had Pete Sampras and Jim Currier and Michael Chang, all these guys. However... They were all, maybe Sampras, you know, better, more accolades, but they were all second fiddle. There was only one A-lister among this group. There was only mm -hmm. one guy mm -hmm. who could do SNL. There was only one guy who had major commercials with rock stars, and that was Agassi. And, and, and he, he had the, the feathered hair and, and, and the neon colors, and he had, like, the headbands, and the, he had the, um, like the spandex that he'd wear, and he had the sick, he had his own Agassi Nike shoe. I mean, how many tennis players' shoes do you even remember no. that you had back then? How many, how many tennis players' commercials do you even remember? Commercials. He had commercials, for those who don't know. He used to do regular commercials with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, they married, it was like rock star tennis camp with Andre Agassi. And so, yep. as I was coming through this list, I, I started thinking of like, okay, let me, let me balance it out, a couple baseball, a couple football, a couple basketball, and then I was like, you know what? There's he was he was a list up with Gretzky Jordan there was Agassi right there yeah, so yeah. that's why I have Andre Agassi on my list. I love that, and I'll tell you why. Uh, when we were watching Agassi uh, go it live in in person uh, in real time, um, it, the ad campaigns and the persona sometimes overshadowed the personality and the actual tennis playing. Right, um, once he cut his hair. And once we got past all of the marketing aspect of it, we realized how freaking good the guy is and how cool he is. His autobiography, one of the best sports autobiographies I've ever read. Open, honest, exact title is open, actually. Um, and it, it, that just makes you want it, it from the nostalgia perspective. It makes you remember how much you dug him back then. And it does allow you to get past all the marketing stuff and the person behind that and the athlete behind. That. Yeah. The, one of the crazy things that I've noticed over all the years of writing, you mentioned 1996 is how so many of the greats reinvent themselves in the middle of their career. They yeah, completely, yeah. Either, either they change how they played or they completely change who they were. And there's Agassi, like you said, there's pre kind of bald Agassi, like the crazy wild, the cannon rebel images, everything. Yep. Wild piled out, you know, going out party in Agassi. And then there's, yeah, after he went Wimbledon, all white, shaved head, humble, like gracious, uh, kind of, you know, wasn't eating McDonald's every night kind of Agassi no. <laughs> back in shape with Steffi Graf, like the Brooke Shields, high level A-lister Agassi, wild guy of Hollywood to, you know, who he is, is now. And even he is now, he gives away, you know, the, the kids, he's like a, he's like a philanthropy God back, you know, with tennis and with other things. So he completely reinvented himself. And a lot of people, I think, who are a little younger remember Agassi even as towards the end of his career, yeah. which is what we're talking about, the shaved head and all that stuff. But he became famous and like a superstar of the 90s because of the flash and the neon and the cool stuff. And for that reason, he has cards. Which card is the, is the bomb Agassi card to you, John? It is a, it's a, it's a brand probably most far, but it's, I, I remember this card because of the picture and I even found it. It took me longer than I care to, <laughs> to but it's a, it's a 1991 net pro card from, I think like the USTA, like 
hired commissioned somebody to make these cards and uh it's vintage he's got the feathered hair coming out the top the nice. mullet coming out the back nice a pink headband the pink strapped shirt that like nike gave him he's got the black shorts with the pink spandex underneath mm, swing yeah it's a beautiful beautiful card so <laughs> that that is uh it's called like net pro tour stars i don't know if anyone has it's probably worth like seven bucks but um but i love the card that's probably uh, it encapsulates exactly what this episode or the next two episodes are going to be about uh, finding the love in the athlete and finding a cool card that means something to us. OK, so my guy, my number one guy, and bear in mind, this all is in alphabetical order, um, Wayne Gretzky. OK, I'm going to give a little personal Gretzky backstory. Um, I'm going to say 86. It was this is not the 90s, but the card in question is 90s. Uh, my uh, my cousin had season hit tickets to the Chicago Blackhawks games, and they were good at that point. The Hawks were good, uh, good enough to give uh, Gretzky's Edmonton Oilers a run in the playoffs. Okay, so uh, I was lucky enough to get to go see Gretzky play. Um, I think it was either two or three times in that series, and he dominated, but not by scoring, by how he held the puck, by how he scared the Blackhawks, and his uncanny passing. I think he had you know twice as many assists as he had goals and the Hawks were game. They fought him so hard. Um, and you know, I've been lucky enough to see Michael Jordan a whole bunch here in Chicago. Um, I've been lucky enough to see, uh, when the bulls were bad, I was able to see Kobe and Shaq up close. I was able to see Iverson up close. I've seen a lot of amazing athletes, but few have transcended and has been as memorable as those Gretzky games from the late eighties. Um, when you're talking Gretzky cards, you know, the, everybody gravitates towards the 79 Opeachy, which obviously I don't have because I'm not a gajillionaire. Um, and also, this is a 90-centric episode. When you think 90s, you think Gretzky in Los Angeles. You think yeah. those black and white iconic uniforms. You think, you know, he's tough. He's not quite the, the smooth, pretty Gretzky that we remember. He had a little more grit to him, which is why I dig so much the 9091 Upper Deck card. Um, and in that card, right? The card itself is fine. Upper Deck is, you know, the hockey go-to card company. But what I love about it is the attitude on the face of Gretzky. Like when you think of Gretzky, when you think of uh, Canadian hockey players in general, they're nice people. They're they, they're horrible on the ice to one another. They curse. They swear. Off the ice, they're gentlemen. Straight up gentlemen. Gretzky's a straight up gentleman. But you look at this card, and it's sort of like, okay, this is the Gretzky of the Kings, right? Surly, snarling, scrappy, feisty, and that Gretzky is the Gretzky that I think of when I think of the 1990s. Yeah, the the thing with Gretzky was he he was so good throughout the 80s. I mean, he rewrote. He was already by 1990, he was the greatest hockey player who ever lived. Right. And so there was no, you know, I, I grew up watching those Bruins teams. And so we never, you know, we never really faced him too often. He'd already won all those titles with Messier. And then um, when we get into the 90s, he goes to L.A. and it's like a perfect marriage of the biggest hockey star. And if anyone's ever going to care about hockey in L.A., it's going to be because of Gretzky. Yeah. And then there's a factor, which I'm sure, you know, just haven't mentioned, is the NHL games on the NHL 94, NHL 95, like the video games. Yep. To me as a hockey of all the major sports that I followed like a lot of people, it's sort of on the bottom. I'm not like a hockey, you know, diehard, but yeah. I played probably more NHL than even Madden back in the day. Mm -hmm. And being Gretzky on LA being Gretzky on the blues. Uh, and then even towards the very, very end on the Rangers, like he was just always there. And it was like, you didn't, I didn't even really realize the way later, how long he'd already been playing. It was like, Oh, he's great. What is this? His seventh year, and it's like no, it's his sixteenth year. <laughs> like yeah. he just he started at like seventeen years old. 
So, uh, yeah, the iconic, um, the absolutely iconic King Gretzky jersey, that's a, that's a good call. I, I like him on that team. Who's your uh, next in alphabetical order post-Andre? So much talk now uh, when we watch the NFL of these, you know, Mahomes. No one ever did it like Mahomes. And look at Josh Allen run and Daniel Jones. Oh, my God, he can move and, and all these guys. Uh, but to me, to me going back to the 90s, there was only one quarterback. He preceded Michael Vick. Can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. Based on the, the place in the alphabet we're at right now and based yeah, on okay. the way you're describing him. <laughs> can I say Randall Cunningham? You have got it, sir. Woo! Cunningham. People forget. See, Randall was first. You know, Elway ran and Steve Young ran and, and some of these other guys ran and like, you know, Charlie Ward in college ran. But when Randall ran, it was like, wait a minute. Like, this guy could run for a thousand yards. If they, they didn't even know how to build the offense, like, they didn't understand it yet, that what he could do. If he was drafted right now, he would be a super duper duper zillionaire, you know, star. Totally. Um, they would build. I mean, they probably they probably have to dial back the running, but but he was he was he was everything you'd want. And and the difference that I would say, and Vic did have an incredible arm when he was able to you know really throw it. But like Randall could throw like seventy five a, a dart. Like he had an absolute yeah. cannon. And so yeah. and the, the Eagles back then, like the jersey. I know there's, but the jerseys just seem cooler, even though they're they're good now again and all that. But but Randall was my guy. My move in, in, as we talked about, like in, in Tech Mobile and in early Madden was like, <laughs> I would just shotgun Randall and scramble until he got to the edge and then turbo that <laughs> all the way through, man. All the way got for a touchdown. I love so it. Randall was my guy. The card that I have is, it's a classic, the 1990 NFL Pro set. He's like just about to let go of the ball, running, speed. It's that bright like 90s uh, crowd behind him. He was my guy. I love that. And, you know, I've talked about this on the show and with many, many, many friends. When you're younger, you don't appreciate guys that aren't on your team as much as you do when you're older. And Cunningham was one of those guys because he used to beat the poop out of the Bears all the time. Every time they would play, it felt like he just torched him. He would, you know, throw for 800 yards, run for 300. Um, So at the time, I had kind of a chip on my shoulder about him. But, you know, as you get older and as the nostalgia kicks in, yeah, he's one of those quarterbacks, him and like these these big guys who kind of, as you said, set the template for the Justin Fields of the world, however you pluralize yeah. Fields. Um, <laughs> you know, Dante Culpepper is another guy that comes to mind, like a big burly guy, sort of the pre-Cam Newton, Cam Newton. And I do dig that you busted out Randall Cunningham. I 100% agree with those Eagles unis. Um, and that that is the era where they throw snowballs at Santa Claus in Philly. Am I correct? Yeah, that's true. And one one fun fact that a lot of people don't know about Randall is that he is in the College Football Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. but he is not in the College Football Hall of Fame as a quarterback. He was an all-American punter in addition to his quarterback duty. So he is actually in the College Football Hall of Fame as a punter. I did not know that, John. Um, and I bet there's no way you're going to guess my guy. Uh, he He's... He's he's one of the greats, right? One of the greats, one of the great major league baseball players, one of the great hitters of all time. But like such a quiet, kind, warm individual that he's a guy that even though I was not a San Diego Padres fan, I adored. That's Tony Gwynn. Um, watching him play was sublime, and he was at his best in the late eighties, right? Um, but he kept playing into the nineties. Had you know, I, I didn't look it up, but I know he had over three thousand hits. Um, he was on a, a small market team, 
Uh, he was on a small market team that never made any noise in the postseason. But, you know, any, even a semi-serious baseball fan, that's the kind of guy you watch, you like. He's just sublime. He is sublime. He's, I, I compare him, if you're going to do a basketball comp, to DeMar DeRozan, right? He's my Chicago guy. Not sexy, but hits that mid-range jumper all the time. Tony Gwynn, not sexy, but boy, he could hit those singles uh, like nobody, like nobody else. Now, what was kind of funny about him is by the time like the early mid-90s hit, um, he started getting kind of, let's go with chunky. And, you know, he, but he was, his skill set was such that he was still able to thrive. Uh, but I think the 96 Don Roos Elite Series card uh, it kind of exemplifies the dichotomy between Gwyn's brilliance and his chunkiness. So he's <laughs> the picture of him. He doesn't even have a bat in his hand. It looks like he's just on his way to first base. Of course he is, because he was always on his way to first base. Little smile on his face, right? Because he always smiled, because he's a great dude. <laughs> the buttons on his uniform are straining just a little bit as the tummy is trying to escape and get to first base before he does. Yeah, you know, Gwyn was, I think he benefited from never leaving San Diego. I think if like, if, you know, after 12 years or something, he ended up with the Yankees or as even my socks or, or the Cubs or somewhere yeah, else, like a big yeah. market, it would have changed things. I think that kind of made him, he was like a stall, like you just knew every year back then when you checked the newspaper box scores, and they have like the ALNL leaders, you just flip over and be like, Tony Gwynn, 372, Tony Gwynn, yep. 365. Like yep. every single year, every card you would get, you know, you just go through 382, 327. Three, it was just nonstop, 212 hits, 245 hits, just over and over and over again. And uh, he was just every All-Star game. And again, back when you really only saw these guys at the All-Star game, yeah. he had that little bit of it, that accent. He, you know, it was like, I don't know, Southern, I don't know where he's from, but he had that like, hey, man, like, you know, and then he, and he had kind of a high voice, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was just right. You said it, very likable. Like you just, you didn't ever, I didn't so know, likable. I'd never heard a person be like Tony Gwynn Never heard it. No. The words have never been uttered. <laughs> he was just awesome. All right, who's your number three? So when I was going through the list, like, like I said, I wanted to leave like the no-brainers off. And this okay. one is a no-brainer, but not like for nowadays. So I, I could nothing embodies those 90s basketball, like just the era of 90s basketball, like the Orlando Magic. And I didn't mm. want to do Shaq because he's got mm. some, but, but Penny Hardaway ah. he's the quintessential for three or four years, Lil Penny commercials, he is like Shaq's sidekick. They do blue chips together. He's all, you know, he's, he's first team all NBA, I think three times, second team one time. He is unstoppable. It seems like from 94, 95, obviously until Shaq leaves, it's kind of like the Magic are basically going to win the next, at least go to the finals the next three or four times. Yeah. Um, even nobody knew what was going to happen with Jordan. He retired, he came back. But like, they, you know, who knows? If, if they had stayed together and were like, butting heads with the bulls you know if they stayed together and healthy 97 98 you would have to believe one of those years they take chicago down because chicago was on fumes and there probably wouldn't have been much they could do against a fully dieseled up shack yeah. and a completely healthy you know really figuring out all his powers and skill sets hard away with you know you know all they all nick anderson all the other guys that they had on that team so i uh, i love those magic teams I, everybody loved those magic teams with the, with the cool shorts with the stripes with the stars on the side yeah and so um the card that, that i uh, that i took is that there was an old fleer metal card where they would do the silver would be real metally yep, like yep yep and uh and the background is hardaway going for like a layup 
but that's the one. It was like 91, 90, I'm sorry, 96 Fleer medal. And, you know, Hardaway's career always, it always ends with a, what will, you know, sad, who knows what would have happened with the injuries and Shaq leaving. Cause, cause people conflate the two, like Shaq left and, and he got like a career basically altering injury. Yeah. So it wasn't like Shaq left and they were bad. It was like Shaq left and he never had a chance to even carry the team to bring in another guy. He just was out and it sucked. But um, for those three years, he was, dare I say, magic. I see what you did. Um, part of the reason, John, I wanted to do this episode with you is because you take a uh, cultural, big picture cultural view uh, of the athlete rather than just looking at his accomplishments on the field. And for those of you who are not hip to Lil Penny, that was an ad campaign, a Nike ad campaign in which there was a, a kind of a look like a stop action character or a marionette, something like that, of Penny Hardaway voiced by Chris Rock. Uh, who at that huge. point, yeah, it was huge. And there was, uh, I still use this line once in a while when appropriate. At one point, there was a little penny commercial with Tyra Banks in it. And at the end of it, Chris Rock, I don't remember the exact thing. I should go to YouTube and look it up. He says, that's Tyra Banks, fool. And I bust out that line every time I see Tyra Banks. I love what you see, what he has. He has so many lines where he um, says, tell him little penny from science class says hello. Like, he's always <laughs> like that one. Whenever like, you see somebody who's like, oh, hey, tell him that. Like, there was so many of those and there was four or five of them. And then they had the big like Oscar commercial where they had yes. Bo and Wayne Gretzky. Like they had all the other stars were in the little penny commercial. They yeah. weren't even, like it, and it, you could get like his doll and the plush toys. And then the penny shoes, like they were great. Like they were, they were, they were really, really nice. solid. And so really nice shoes. You know, if you're looking, if you're checking off like nineties icon type shoes, commercials, you know, endorsements, you know, Q rating, uh, penny hits it on all. This guy does not hit the Q rating, but he does hit the commercial. There is one commercial under this guy's name that is still, it's actually a series. I think there are like three or four of them uh, that still remain iconic. Whenever you say chicks dig the long ball, uh, yeah. people know you're talking about Greg Maddox, the people yeah. in the know. Now, Greg Maddox, by the time uh, 1990 rolled around, he wanted out of here in, in Chicago. I loved him. I adored him. He was just this nerdy, professorial pitcher right he did not go out there and throw i don't even think he topped 90 on a regular basis he was around like 80 85 87 89 but his control was ridiculous and the same reason i like tony Gwynn. like tony wasn't bashing balls out of the park he was just placing them just so he knew the game so well he knew the angles and that's maddox right he he would go out there and throw a three hitter possibly like six fastballs along the way uh he is just cool. And I, it, it broke my heart when he went off to Atlanta. Um, but I was really happy for him because he wasn't going to do anything here in Chicago. It was just like th this team is snake bit and has been always will be to some extent. The card I like of his is when he's still on the Cubs. It's a 1990 Topps Tiffany card. And those, those Tiffany cards are a lot of fun. Um, he was still skinny at that point. He still had that blue. He was wearing that blue Cubs uni that I love, which at the time was, I guess, in effect, their alternate jersey, and they barely ever wore them. The dark blue ones, not the powder blue ones, the dark blue ones without the buttons. And at that point, pullover jerseys were kind of like a big deal. Um, he looked very intense in the picture, and he's not a usually intense looking guy. The Greg Maddox you're used to is the guy with the little tummy and the guy with like the, the kind of lack of definition in his arms uh, and clean shaven in the round nerd glasses. In this picture, he looked angry. Uh, he was skinny and he had a little itty bitty kind of like Fernando Lamas mustache. Uh, so that's my guy, Greg Maddox. Were you a fan? Yeah, he was like the, the best way to describe Maddox was like a dorky assassin, like <laughs> the most unassuming dominant, maybe athlete 
ever. I mean, and, and he wasn't, it wasn't like one of those guys who were like, like you said, Glenn, when he got older or like even Kirby Puckett who had a belly, like the whole time he played <laughs> Maddox looked like Maddox looked like he should have, like he was an insurance salesman or like, yeah. like if you went into like, you know, state farm, he was the guy who was like, Hey, well, you got an accident. Let me, let me help you out. Like he did not look like an absolute world beating no. athlete. Um, but he was, so yeah, I don't know, uh, other than, you know, people hated the Braves and like, I always rooted for them against the Yankees in those world series and stuff like that. So, so I liked him. Yeah. I'm a Maddox guy. I am too. And you know, RE, those chicks dig the long ball commercials. They, it was just, he, he and Tom Glavin, who was his, uh, uh, kind of running buddy in the, in the brave starting rotation. Um, yeah. neither of them have much in the way of personality, but these, it, there's just such a great commercial, great line, a great vibe. Heather Locklear. Which Heather Locklear. A- yep. Uh, who is your number four, John? My number four is a guy who I have been pleading with Major League Baseball to the extent that I send one tweet a year saying, if they could, because I have a son who has zero, less than zero interest in baseball. I can't oh. get him to watch one inning. We used to like the, you know, watch the Red Sox, but they've traded Mookie. They're getting rid of Zan. Like, the, he, no, now he has no interest in anybody. But to me, the one thing for this YouTube, TikTok, low attention span generation that will bring young fans back is the stolen base if they could get a guy because they're they're bite-sized he's on first the, the drama of the throw and yeah. no one ever did it better than my guy coming up which is ricky Woo! it's hard it's hard to get across what it was like especially no mlb package right no way to watch this stuff you had sports center that was you turn on sports center and you'd see ricky with the neon yellow and the neon green sunglasses mm-hmm. and the a stuff and his, you know, his gloves, just like William Hayes Hayes, who's, you know, based on him, he's on first and boom, he's gone on second. And he did it a hundred times or 90 times, 120 times. And every time he was on first, Ricky's on second. Like you would watch if you happen to flip over when the A's were playing the Red Sox. I wanted him to get on first. I wanted him to get on first. Yeah. I wanted to see how fast he was to get to second. Um, and that was for me, like an, a no brainer, like, you know, obviously Griffey is, 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 our, is the Jordan of baseball to put on these things. But for me, Ricky's next. He was the most exciting baseball player we had uh, in the 90s. And in order to like fully capture it, I looked hard. The, the, the Ricky Henderson 1990s Fleer, actually, just a base Fleer, he is like right about to pounce. He's got, he's down, his gloves are going. Um, it was awesome. So I got Ricky. And what's your Ricky card? The 1990 Fleer, just base 90 Fleer, Ricky Henderson. That's the one. That's the one. Everybody knows that. If you know Ricky, you know that one. And Ricky knows Ricky. Ricky was just <laughs> funny, right? He like re, re, one of the early guys who referred to himself in the third person. Uh, he and Carl Malone had had that that uh, that kind of little corner of the uh, grammatical quirkiness uh, covered. Um, and yeah, same thing. I loved watching him play. He was exciting. Very. Uh, if the A's were playing, there was probably an eighty percent chance that you were going to get on Sports Center of really really cool stolen base. And that's another thing that. Um, well, we're talking about 90s nostalgia. Sports Center in the 90s was must watch TV. I watch it, you know, you were busy in the 90s. I was busy in the 90s, but I always managed to make time to watch like the 11 o'clock, the midnight Sports Center. If I missed that, I would watch the, you know, the rerun at 6 a.m. just to see what Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick were up to. I'd run it back. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that was like a part of my night. It was like, I'd put it on whenever, and if I, I'd watch it all the way through till I saw the parts I already saw. <laughs> it didn't even matter. Yeah, and you know, no, no disrespect to ESPN. They have some amazing talent right now, but 
you know, you look at Scott Van Pelt, who's been there forever. He's still doing yeah. it. He's still rocking His the show's mic. Great. It's the His only. Show's great. I think it's the only personality I could name. Again, not to. I don't know who's there, but like, I, I, that's the point. I don't know who's there. But again, yeah. I, I don't know if it's. It, that's a deeper function of like jobs, family, kids, life. Like I'm yeah. not staying at the Midwest Sports Center anymore. No. So maybe it's great, but not for me right now. Now, Olber, Olberman and Patrick were were the gold standard, and I, I don't think they'll ever be equal just because. Um, okay, this is my deepest cut athlete of the 10 that we're choosing um and i'm gonna tell a little tangential story that'll kind of lead us there so one of my buddies told me he was playing soccer in central park and they're just bashing away having a good old time focused very much on uh the task at hand and he said like in the middle of a game all of a sudden he felt this vibe this presence enter the park right and he turned around and it was leo dicaprio now, this friend of mine is not particularly spiritual. He's just a guy, just like us. Uh, but he said, Leo, even with your back turned, even not seeing him, you, hence, you sense that aura. Okay, this athlete in particular, one time I was in his presence. I was up close and personal, and I sensed that aura. Part of it is his physical, you know, just sheer physical size, but part of it is just his, his straight-up charisma, and that was Dikembe Mutombo. Okay. Would I have put Dikembe Mutombo on this list had I not had that opportunity to get up close and personal with him? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But he does exemplify in many, many ways the personality and the colorfulness of 90s basketball, right? And he sounded Um, like this whenever he talked to say anything. And he had a great (laughs) voice, the deep growly voice. And this isn't um, revisionist or anything. Like knowing what he's doing right now as, you know, out there in the community, uh, in his native country. Uh, he he works really hard for charitable causes. He's a great guy, just a great guy. Funny, played the game with a lot of joy. So Dikembe Mutombo, um, my favorite card was his rookie card, okay? 91-92 Upper Deck. And again, Upper Deck was doing some great stuff at the beginning of the 90s. Um, and, and this was a cool shot. He was not in basketball uniform. He was in draft uniform, wearing this like crazy electric blue suit, had the Denver uh-huh. skyline behind him. And it's just a really cool, cheesy, card that in some ways you look at that and you're like that is so 90s yeah he was he was he was like i think they had that first round upset it might have been against the sonics yep that one i remember we grabbed the ball and you know he's lying on the ground yeah 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 he remembers that he was so dominant it was funny because he i don't i mean he probably never averaged more than 14 or 18 points i mean maybe maybe he had a couple of years with the hawks where i think he focused a little more on offense but but he had the finger wag he was very like personable. He every time he made an all star team, it was like there's Matumbo. You always see like in the background other players joking around with him. Um, yeah, not like a super duper star. Never brought home a, a title with anybody. Um, but like, yeah, if you're going through the '90s, especially NBA, you, you can't really do it without mentioning him. Somehow. My number five for for the ending of uh, part one is I think again like. He, he, he's probably more 2000s for when he really hit his stride. But when he came on the scene, and I, I pick a card specifically from when he came on the scene, because this guy changed. In the, in the culture of the NBA, you know, you really look at it. It's Dr. J. It's Jordan. It's Kobe. I think now Steph Curry has reached it. And, mm-hmm. and the guy that I'm about to name is Iverson. Iverson changed every single thing about the NBA for, if you ask this generation of players, they all mentioned Kobe Ryder. That those are the two, two different reasons. Some of them, you know, the the, the cultural aspect, definitely Iverson. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole attitude and all that Iverson, being your own man, entrepreneur, all that kind of stuff is is a lot on Iverson. 
And so specifically though, like I said, coming on scene, I wanted to find like when he, a Georgetown car, because, you know, mm. every, once he got in the NBA, he, you know, he, he was able to, you know, do the, 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 the cornrows and tats and all that. But like pure Iverson, you know, pure Allen Iverson was when John Thompson was on his butt nonstop <laughs> for behavior, clean cut hair, no tattoos. And Iverson would express himself by gigantic baggy Hoyas uniforms and the sneakers. And so I found a 96 press pass Georgetown Iverson car. Mm. It is so it has the beautiful light gray uniform, but like for him, like quadruple XL, but not the shirt underneath, but the cutoff sleeves underneath. Yeah. I don't know what it was or why it was because I, I covered him a few times over the years. He's, he's not big. He is the no. slightest. I don't think, I mean, I, I'm just under six feet and I felt like the times I talked to him, we were the same height. I'm sure maybe basketball shoes, he's six foot. He's always listed as six one, but, but I know for a fact, he's not more than 160 pounds. I mean, he looks like a, 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 you could just breeze by him and he would fall over, mm-hmm. but he was the coolest looking dude. Like just, you'd see him and go, this guy, like he's just awesome. And so I found the Georgetown card to go along with it. Iverson, the night, the, Mar- the March madness, 95, he broke out. Uh, had two or three like 30 40 point games he was the man he's how i'll round out my top five i love that um i too have had the uh opportunity to cover him and yeah he is uh, i i don't think he is five nine i don't think he is he's uh, he's small i mean he's small no other way to put it he's a regular sized dude and the cool thing about iverson aside from taking the um the on-court action out of the equation um he was this he was a flawed person and he didn't care that you knew he was flawed he just put himself out there this is me take it or leave it like it or lump it you know and just watching him on the court with his teammates with the love and and he cared so much about the game and he played with a lot he dragged a a a team like where i think the second leading score was eric snow to the finals and annoyed a really good lakers team uh, he was he was a special special athlete and a special special player and the controversy kind of gets in the way a little bit of how important and interesting and exciting he was so yeah excellent call john um my last guy is the most obvious guy on my list you you said that you took a pass on him because he is too obvious but you know shaq o'neal exemplifies to me uh, the era, and not just the era, the basketball era, but the card era, in that when you think of junk wax, you kind of think of Shaq, because there were a lot of Shaq cards out there, and uh, a lot of high-population Shaq cards. Um, the one I like is the 90, another upper deck. I just realized that I got a lot of upper deck on this list. 92-93 um, rookie card. Uh, it, it, he looks amazing. It's a stop-action, in effect, dunk thing. There's three of them, right? And, and the we know Shaq, the, the position when he was on Orlando and he dunked, his like knees were up and kind of like almost cr- crunch, like he's doing a crunch. Uh, yeah. there's, there's three pictures, one of them on the ground, one of them in between, and then one of them hanging from the rim in that crunch position. It's shiny. It's cool. It's fun, just like Shaq. 
Yep. He, I, there's no, no way he's not on. If we, if we were making a definitive list, he's on it. I was just trying to be creative to keep him off. But like, I also felt that with Penny, I, I got, I got both. So look at us. We got Penny and Shaq reunited on our list again. We got Penny and Shaq. All right. So we've done 10 athletes all together. We have not duped one yet, which just goes to show how cool the freaking nineties were. Um, John Finkel, if, if, if you liked what you heard, and I know you did check out his books there, I, I have legit read his books. He's a terrific writer. Uh, Windmills and Tomahawks, nine chapters on Dominique Wilkins, the only bio of Dominique out there that I know of. And 1996, a biography, which is literally a biography of all the great stuff that happened in 1996. John, you'll come back for part two, please. Absolutely. Can't leave people hanging like this. Whether it's a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card, a Tom Brady playoff contenders rookie card from 2000, or, I don't know, a Marv Throneberry card that came out of a post cereal box in 1963, and yes, that's a thing, Certified Sports Guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately. A subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports car graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit CSGcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. And we don't. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldsher. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. This has been a presentation of the Collects Podcast Network. <laughs>